Hello, and welcome to For the Lore. If you're new to the live broadcast, it's important to note that the hosts of this fine program like to kid around with their audience. Sarcasm is thrown about deftly, as well as lowbrow insults and inappropriate, that's what she said, replies. If you are sensitive to such attacks on your person, if you're a ballless pansy, if you're off of your meds, or if you're just plain batshit crazy, you may want to forego this live broadcast for, say, perhaps, a My Little Pony podcast. I understand those are all the rave now. This announcement has been brought to you by the fine folks who've made For the Lore the debacle that it's been since 2009. Thank you. I realize your guys' show is For the Lore, which seems like it actually, For the Lore! And it almost <laughs> works. You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Hello, welcome to For the Lore. This is Roger coming to on Tuesday, the 19th of July. Of course, I've got with me, same as usual, Joe, as my man Vince. How are you boys doing tonight? Fantastic. Of Could course, not you be are. better. Yeah, no kidding. We just had a fantastic interview with Max Schaefer from Runic Games, of course, working on Torchlight 2 right now. It was really answered a whole bunch of questions that we had, not just in terms of the stories that we can expect within the game, but also gameplay mechanics and things that they're going to be putting in. So, very cool stuff. You're going to want to download this episode and listen to it if you're listening live and you missed that. You're going to want to download it once it's out, either on Thursday. Thursday and Friday and listen. Fantastic stuff. We are going to jump right into the news that we wanted to talk about this week. We had some fantastic videos come out for Deus Ex Human Revolution. And what this did is single-handedly made this into a game that initially I was excited for and it was going to be on my list to something now that I want now. <laughs> yeah, those videos were really cool. And strangely for us, there wasn't a whole lot of story in there, which honestly for Deus Ex, I don't want to know that much about the story going in. So I'm happy that, that, that I'm seeing more of the gameplay side of things. And But what we did get for the story is that we know the prequel, this is a prequel game, is set uh, 25 years before the first Deus Ex. And that our main character, Adam Jensen, uh, is, is attacked while he's working for this company and rebuilt with the cybernetic enhancements. Here he's kind of a... We can make him stronger. <laughs> He's kind of a, a precursor to J.C. Denton's uh, nanotechnology. So I mean, I, th- I like the concept of this game, how he's kind of like maybe almost a field test for their future uh, augmented agents. And I, I think that's pretty cool seeing how this technology really got its start compared to where we've already seen it go. I am loving everything I hear about the gameplay just on the variety of choices. 
I mean, the fact that there are, what, five or six different ways to progress through the entire game, that's amazing to me. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I liked as well is when they were showing how, depending on how you build them, because it's going to be very similar in terms of the augmentations and things like that. It reminded mm-hmm. me very much of the Mass Effect 2 kind of thing where you can you know, specialize, but even better, of course. And I like that based on what you choose, that then opens up different paths that you can take. And based on the difficulty of that path, that's going to determine how much experience you're going to gain as well. Yep. Yeah. That, that really adds like not just a layer, several layers to the game and also makes the replayability something that you seriously have to take into consideration. It's one of those things where you really are going to get the bang for your buck on this game. I mean, even if this game comes in at like $60 brand new, right? If you play it, you know, two, three, four times, depending on the length of the game, you're going to get your money's worth out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, For me, like I really enjoy playing these games with more like the stealth uh, infiltrator type character. So we saw a lot of that in this trailer. First of all, with their their new hacking system, which is really cool compared to most other games. Instead of, you know, picking out little bits of code or whatever, you're actually taking over the servers within, you know, the mainframe you're trying to get into. And I like how. Again, for me, what one of the ways I like to play the game looks to be one of the more interesting aspects that they've programmed into it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, not just interesting, but actually more rewarding as well. They point blank said that if you are going to be playing a class where it is going to rely heavily on stealth, they're going to reward you for that instead of you just going all balls out and shooting everything in sight. So I like that they took that into consideration that, yeah, it's going to take me longer to do this. But hey, guess what? At the end, it's really going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. See, For me, for me, it's also the fact that this game is a uh, rebirth of the original Deus Ex set. Basically, I loved the original Deus Ex games. The the first two, they're available on Steam now, they're fantastic games to play through. The fact that this is the prequel leading up to that is amazing to me because it essentially gives you everything and how that world was built. Also, what's kind of cool is that this game is coming out now after Bioshock has been out and Bioshock was kind of the... like an offshoot sort of of the same type of games of the genre at the time. And it's to see this type of game come back at the same time is awesome to me where like in Bioshock, I can run around and just shoot things and cause birds to go crazy or, you know, set things on fire, electrocute them here. I can actually turn myself into a stealth Superman and make myself like Batman on crack. And I'm enjoying the idea of that concept so much right now. And I really like the way they're executing those stealth mechanics with uh, the energy drain system, how your stealth takedowns, your uh, x-ray vision, the cloaking, the sound suppression, they all use the same resource in the energy. And how if you use it sparingly, it'll actually regenerate itself. But if you just want to, you know, try and cloak your way through the whole thing, you're going to require you know, consumables to really use it that way. So they're really forcing you to think ahead and go about it tactically as well as stealthily. I love that you can punch through a freaking wall. (laughs) I love that when you're looking at options of where you can go, you don't have to charge through a freaking bodyguard or a guard at a door. You can go into a room and it'll show an outline of where you can punch through the wall. And it's like, oh, dude, I am so doing that. That'll be awesome. Probably the biggest thing I love about this game, though, is Roger saying that it went from a kind of 
eh. to yeah, I have to. Well, play it, it wasn't really an eh. I don't want to I don't want to undersell it based on what I was feeling before. I really really was interested. The problem is is that and you guys know this as well. It, there's only so much money that we can spend on games and there are so many games that we want to play, let alone time. But this was a game that I was very interested in and I did want to play, but I was again factoring in money and time versus other games. What these these videos did were actually propel the game past a lot of other games and it's like yeah now it's i really really need to play this like when you're looking at the complexity not just of that we've talked about the complexity in terms of how many different ways there are to move along and whatnot but then you can also look at the complexity in terms of the combat that they've put in wherein you can't just snipe someone in the head and there you go you're done. No, if they've got a freaking helmet on that is specially designed to, you know, block certain amount of firepower or whatever, then your sniper shot is not going to kill them. And now all of a sudden it's drawing the attention of a lot of other people and forget it. Now you really do have to go all balls out and kill everybody in sight. I love that. There's, it's not just one thing that we're seeing a level of complexity. It's the entire game seems to have that level of polish. And I want to talk about that gunplay for a second, because that's actually one of the things that really impressed me about this trailer is how, quote, realistic the weapons feel in this game with all the moving parts in them and how, you know, every time he pulls out a weapon or reloads it, it it seems like, you know, it's an actual mechanical thing as opposed to other games like, let's say, Call of Duty, which strives to be realistic. And for the most part, the gun is just a brick sitting there on the screen with maybe one moving part on it. Whereas this game, which is set in this future fantasy world, it, it feels more real, at least from a gameplay perspective. And I really like that about this one. What I liked as well is I have an article in a gaming magazine, don't ask me which one, but it was one from a few months back actually, that talked about um, both this as well as the next Thief game because they're both from Idis, Montreal. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to hear them talking about, because they interviewed the, the CEO and he was talking about how they want to keep a small team. They don't want to grow into a an absolutely monstrous 450 person team they want a small team and that's why it's taking that much longer to create this as well as the four but what you're getting from it is this incredibly cohesive experience where it's not like something where it's a, a huge big project where you can say well the graphics were amazing the gameplay was fantastic but the story was really lacking or things like that it seems like everything is really gelling together superbly well yeah and it, it's it's definitely something i'm really looking forward to it comes out in about a month i mean august 23rd although there are a few little negative things in this trailer that may bug me i'm um, first and foremost the the switching between the first and third person it, it seems kind of jarring at times really? and i know there's real there's at least from from what i saw in the video that's how it felt to me and i know there's no really no other way to do the cover system they have in this game it just seemed like it maybe it was just because i was watching it instead of being in control of it i really wasn't expecting the transition so it's something that I'm, probably I'm, has a lot to do with yeah that. it's something i'm gonna have to really consider when i'm actually playing the game 
I love the UI. Look at this. I'm showing it on the screen oh, right yeah, now. The freaking UI in this game is absolutely amazing. And what I really like too is that yes, I can appreciate that this is they're playing on what did they say? A PS3, I think, is what they're playing. PS3. On? Yeah. So the UI is of course set up for a, a console. So it looks fantastic. I'm, I'm I don't know what it's going to be like if it's exactly the same or whatever for for uh, PC, which is what I'll wind up playing it on. But it, it it looks fantastic. It doesn't look clunky on console, and that's one of the things that quite often they always do. No, it just looks freaking awesome. More than two weapons. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about this game that I really am seriously digging. Now, from one great video to another, we also got a video for Star Wars The Old Republic. Now, this was a video from E3. It was an interview that was done by Game Reactor. It was an interview with the lead writer, uh, Daniel Erickson, and it was through and uh, during E3. So it was about 30 minutes long, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes so everybody can check it out. I Seriously, I encourage Everyone, if you're interested even mildly in this game, you want to watch this video. It's just absolutely phenomenal because of everything, all of the information. It was interesting because Daniel said at one point too, it's great because they're at a point now where they don't have to say, well, we can't talk about that just yet. Now it's here, here, you want to know about this? Here, boom, boom, boom. And they're giving you all of this information on it. And the fact is, is that a lot of people are interested in the old Republic. So we'll go through a whole bunch of things that I, I've i got. I got a list. Folks in the audience can see this. I got a freaking <laughs> list that is monstrous. We're not necessarily going to touch on all that, but I'm sure the guys as well are thinking the same thing about a lot of the same points that I had. There's so many things that we saw here that are Oh man, first and foremost, this this is the game now. The game is done. We've already mentioned this before. This is not a demo. The game is out. People are playing it. They've got thousand people playing right now. Um and they're they're fixing bugs every single day. It was funny to hear them talk about certain things that the the general people population that are playing it are saying that has to be changed. One of which being the 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 GUI had to change, and so they yeah. completely redefined that, which is good because if you look back mm-hmm. at some of the old ones, <laughs> I wasn't crazy I mean, about I it mean, either. I mean, and I again, mean, I mean, that, we just tax. Oh yeah. We just talked about the GUI for for um, Deus Ex, and it does make an, a huge difference. And it's not something that we discuss with uh, Max Schaefer for, for Torchlight 2, but it is something that I read. They actually changed theirs as well. The GUI that they're using for Torchlight 2 is not the same as for Torchlight. It, the GUI has a huge impact on your enjoyment in the game. So, yeah, like, what do you think about what they've got now, though? Compared to what it was, like I got to play it, like I said, at PAX East, and the interface was sort of your generic run-of-the-mill, uh, here's a bunch of bars. And actually, it reminded me a lot of Age of Conan with space lining and like neon lights. Now it's a lot more, it just seems a lot more intuitive and a lot more in tune with the rest of the game and the world that you're going to be playing with it overlaid from. And that makes a big difference because it was really jarring. The original, I mean, the original UI was just kind of like this huge block at the bottom of the screen that was like five different rows of action bars and like your health meter and everything. And then like then your party window was like right up in front of your face there. It was it was really awful. And now it's a lot more streamlined, a lot more um, fine tuned. You can see the polish. 
And that's a big one that they discussed as well. There is a ton of polish on this game right now. Um, we're we're going to touch a little bit more on that later on, but it's something that they discussed a lot of is, again, the polish on the game is very, very important right now. And they, they put the time in to make it awesome. Um the other thing that uh, that I that they talked about as well, it was early on too. They were talking about the multiplayer was something that people were telling them that had to change. They had to make it easier to do the multiplayer. They had to make it so that it was um, a lot easier to get into groups, to find groups, to um, work with your groups if you're in different sections. And one of the things that I loved the moment I heard about it, and now again they talked about it, was the hologram effect that they're going to put in. That if we're gaming together and Joe decides that he's going to go to freaking Alderaan, some different area or whatever, and there he's taking over a quest that would be a group quest, I have the option, regardless of where I am, that it's going to ask me, do you want to take part in this? And if I say yes, then my hologram shows up beside him and I can take part in the conversations. Yep. That's freaking awesome. That's, I love that. Yeah, that's that. amazing. They've, they've <laughs> solved a huge problem with MMOs in general with that system alone. I mean, how many MMOs do we had where like group quests will start while you're on another part of the world? And, you know, the idea that they're putting in the complexity of the conversations that you're having to start these quests to begin with um, and then allowing everybody in the party to show up no matter where they are in a universe. That's awesome. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Friggin Jedi magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then they were talking about as well the um, the the guy who was doing the interviewing was very interested in the MMO gameplay features that are in there. So Daniel was talking about how the auction house is working it up. So we know that's going to be in there, which is pretty much a foregone conclusion in MMOs nowadays. It's a staple. Yeah. yeah. So and then you unless got- you're Final Fantasy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're not still playing that. Though. There's no chance in hell you're still playing that. If they brought out a demo, like with all the changes they've made over the last year, I'd try it. I wouldn't pay for it, but I'd try it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. They've also got their crafting, which we've already talked about. So we're not going to go into detail about that. And then they've got their end game stuff. That which they're calling operations versus rating, which we're going to touch a little bit more on later because... If there was a game where I would consider raiding, <laughs> right now it's this one simply because they're taking the right ah, they're taking the right routes to make it something that is not going to necessarily be you know not necessary but goddamn awesome if you do it and I like the way that the group questing is going right now from what we've seen. So if they keep that going with raiding as well, you could wind up having very, very interesting operations. Yeah. When I was watching the video, I was like, man, I need to find the time to raid now. Yeah. (laughs) Damn you. (laughs) And then they were saying as well. I don't know about you, but I'm all about the war zones. Exactly. The war zones right now are what people are really having a blast with. And I, that's one of the things that you're really most excited about? Yeah, dude, okay. And, and I preface this by saying I was the bastard that used to go around in galaxies and kill Jedi when there was final death, and I plan on doing that again. Um, honestly, I really like Star Wars PvP. Um, it just it, The classes are interesting enough that the idea of a galactic war like this between these two factions with all the different classes, all the different abilities, all the different subspects, the idea of potentially companions becoming involved in it. I mean, it's 
it's becoming so much better than PvP and anything else I've seen so far. Just as far as engagement and excitement levels, I'm really looking forward to War Zones. I think they're going to be these epic battles between people, and I can't wait. If they and can do it, as long as there's no you know faction imbalance like we see in other games, that's a big one. That's a big I don't one. Think, I, they've they've mentioned uh, the whole balancing thing before though in a bunch of interviews. And they've even said that they think they've hit the, the the sort of money balance, so to speak. A couple things will still need to be tweaked, but that also excites me. The fact that there's going to be an equivalent or, an, or sort of an equivalency between the two factions, right? You're going to have your troopers and your your bounty hunters that can you know put out the same amount of damage or can range tank. You're going to have your Sith and you're going to have your Jedi. You're going to have a sort of a parity between the two. Um, while they may be different, they're balanced and equal. And so I kind of really like that concept as well, because right now PvP is awful. And, you know, I play it in Warcraft and it's awful. Uh, PvP in most other games is awful. I mean, Lord of the Rings, you don't even really have PvP. You have monster play. Uh, This is honest to God, down and dirty PvP with the full scope of your powers without having to worry about dumbing down certain abilities because it's not balanced for the rest of the game because everybody's already mostly balanced. And that excites me. That really excites me. What I would like to see is, um, l- like what you kind of hinted on, where in the the war zones have an impact on the story, the lore of what is going on right now. I mean, I know they tried to introduce some of that in the like the battlegrounds, but it's so minuscule, and it really, it honestly doesn't matter. And I know that part of that is the mechanics that they employ and things like that, but. I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot of different things with the war zones in the Old Republic that are very different. I don't want to carry a freaking flag. I don't carrying a flag is not a war zone type of thing, you know. I want something that <laughs> is gripping, that feels real, and that is something that is going to, you know, make a difference and make me feel like as I pertain to this in an RP moment to this universe and my place and everything that my little part of this battle on this planet made a difference and that I, you know, things like that. It's not just that, Hey, I carried three flags today. Awesome. No. (laughs) Yeah. I carried a flag versus I stood alone and saved the fuel depot from the Imperial scum. I mean, come on. There's a big difference there. Yeah. That that went to be like that second trailer we saw. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So um, going back to they were talking about the development of the game and the polish level that's on it. What I loved hearing was that he was saying that it's it's taken so long due to the complexity uh, and the size of the MMO. And he compared it to basically take every single Bioware game, RPG game, single player RPG that's come out up until now. And that is the old republic i would be willing to bet the old republic is even more than just that so the all of the time they had to invest on every single rpg combined is what is taking is what they're putting into the old republic and when you start seeing more and more of the old republic it really does feel like that and that's something he's saying that people are telling him as well when you're playing it it feels like you're playing a standalone rpg that speaks volumes to me i don't know about you boys 
Yeah, I, that that's insane because you have to think there there was a point for each of us where we would have been happy spending fifteen dollars a month for Dragon Age, and now that we're looking at something that's so much grander than that, I can't even wrap my head around the scope of the game here. And I'm really going to enjoy spending as much time as I can exploring each and every one of you know these smaller games that 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 make up the larger one almost. Well, not just that, but when he's talking about alts as well, because that's something that they've always talked about, and it's one of those where it is important to the game. A lot of people, because it's an MMO, and the, the guy who did the interview was saying, I'm the type of player who likes to play one character and then just progress that one through to the end. All three of us are, are, are essentially alt players, though, so this game is going to be tailor-made for us because... With every one, you're getting such a diverse, a different kind of playthrough because there are going to be different options. There are going to be different routes that you can take. There's going to be different things that you get that you would not otherwise get in a, a different playthrough. And that's something they talked about a little bit later on, where in different classes and different species are going to have different options in multiplayer when you're playing. So different options in terms of what to say and how to address the people that you're talking to. So that there has an impact again on every alt that you plan on playing. This game's going to make me quit my job. <laughs> this game's going to make me quit everything. <laughs> Sorry, Tart. <laughs> so it, they did say, though, that for people who do like just to play the one game, the end gamers are going to have the traditional things that you find in MMOs. So there's going to be heroic level questing and whatnot, wherein you're going to have to have a group. Um, I mean, as long as I can find... I, I, you know what I want? I want <laughs> this is going to be damn near impossible. But all of us freaking, you know podcasters, bloggers, and all that, we got to decide beforehand, all right, and plan ahead which realm we want to play on. Because that worked out so well the exactly. last Exactly. That's what I mean. We got to try harder. There has to be something we could do so that we all wind up on the same realm because if we are playing with people that we know and we enjoy their company and whatnot, those heroic level quests and whatnot are going to be an absolute blast and you're going to get so much more story. That's one of the things he was saying too. When you get to those heroic quests and the, the operations, he says it's not, it can't be a go kill 10 squirrels type of quest. It has to be something that is grand in scope and amazing because that's what it is. And that really excites me as well is the whole idea of the cons the conceptualization behind the quest that they have to be bigger and better and they should fit the the mode of player in so that if it's an epic quest well it should feel like an epic quest if you're you know in a raid environment it should feel like a raid and not just some random happy schlappity crap where you go kill boars it should actually have some meat behind it some story some purpose and that really excites me. And that's what we're getting with the first raid, The Secret of Belsavis, which he was saying, like, the, this is an entire planet that has been turned into a prison. So he was saying, like, you have to try to figure out why. Why would they need to do that? What is in there? And that really starts to get your brain rocking, thinking about, oh, my God, what kind of crazy ass questing and fun am I going to have raiding on an entire planet that's been turned into a prison? Oh, my God. <laughs> that's awesome. 
Here there be rancors. <laughs> <laughs> now, also interesting is they were talking about, um, and I, I got to give props to the lead writer here because the the interview has tried to Seriously. tell him. Yeah, he's saying like. We already know where the story is going because, of course, this is before the Star Wars series. So you're saying we already know what's going to happen and things like that from the 3,000 years from where you start to then. So, like, we already know what's going to happen. How can you make that exciting? And the guy's like, say, 3,000 years is a long time in history. <laughs> when he's making the cracks about, oh, Renaissance, oh, no big deal kind of thing. Like, all these fantastic <laughs> things happen. But I love that they are they are already planning way ahead. And what they've also done is plan up until that point. I love how when he's talking about um, how they had to aggregate all of basically human race. So they said they decided everybody's going to have a British accent for the Imperials. And they picked pick and chose from different cultures and different things to mold what the influence would be, how, how, how people would be in that time. It reminded me very much of what we saw in Firefly, where you see the Chinese influence everywhere. They thought ahead of, okay, probably this is what's going to happen kind of thing. And so that's what we saw. Here's what they're doing. I really thought that showed a lot of foresight in not just developing the story up until where you are, but really thinking ahead as well. Like they're talking many, many years keeping this MMO going. Yeah, it, it's really gonna be interesting seeing, you know, what other cultural influences and how things have changed from, you know, the older public timeline to the movie timeline. And it, it's it's going to be, you know, almost like an Easter egg hunt, you know, seeing what little what little tidbits you can pull out as if we needed something else to spend our time doing. And then I just, I'm just loving the fact that they're planning for the long game because you see so many MMOs are like, yeah, we're, we're hoping to be a year, two years until somebody moves on to the next thing. And they're like, no, we're going to be around for a while. We have a whole plan for when you guys are sucked in and, you know, have committed your life to latching into the computer game. Don't worry, we'll be we'll find a way to ship nutrients to you when you're sucked into our world. It'll happen. Well, they're talking six years down the line already. Yeah, <laughs> I seriously. Mean, that's a long, bloody time. So they go in again with what I was saying in terms of having planned ahead. I, I love the discussion about the Sith Empire and this the how evil is a cultural concept. That was such a great quote. And yes. how yes, they was. see the Republic as chaos because there's no clear leadership and it lacks purity and bloodlines and things like that. Um, if anything else, it really made me want to play um, the Empire a lot more. I like that's the one that my son and I are going to be playing those, but then I'm going to have a single. Um, smuggler as well that I can play when we're not playing together. But it really makes me want to play the Empire a lot more. It matches, too, with what we've been talking about in just outside of the game universe and how Sith are in general, um, where that part of the universe has been getting flushed out in books and comics um, and stories that are being released through the various sources, as well as the other like other games beyond Bioware, where it's like the Sith aren't necessarily evil by their own definitions. They're just humanity who grew up in a completely different way. And the idea of how they view the universe and why they do what they do is really intriguing. And the fact that they're going to flush it out even further than what it already has been, and they're putting that much thought into it, really excites me. Like, I was already sold on playing the bad, you know, the quote-unquote bad guys to begin with, but this is awesome. Well, what I like is that you're not necessarily playing a bad guy. 
when you're hearing what they're saying about, you know, the the the, the actual Sith are the ruling class, but there's really not that many of them. It, the Empire is comprised mainly of other people, not Sith. And then when you hear, hear what he was saying about the Imperial agent as well, and playing one as good kind of thing, you can actually play, it's kind of like the people who think that Horde are only bad people, you know? It's not. It's this here. You can play a, a member of the Empire. That's not the dark Darth Vader crazy ass freaking mind choking you kind of thing. You can be just a regular <laughs> Joe that believes that the ruling class knows what's best for you. They've taken care of you when you needed it. And so you, you follow them, which really opens up again. That RP really opens up so many doors. Oh, Darth, whatever his name is, murdered somebody again. I guess I'll have to go clean it up. <laughs> but like in so many uh, MMOs, you know, you you really see it as there, there's not a good side and a bad side. You know, Horde and Alliance, they, you know, they both have, you know, their, their altruistic senses. But I mean, going into this, I mean, it, it's hard to see the Sith as anything other than pure evil. And it, this was really the first time I've heard anybody really describe it from the Imperial point of view. And just seeing the passion he had for it really, really sold me on, on the Imperial side and how interesting it is and it's not just about going around and you know burning paintings and slaughtering children it, it there's so much more to it you, you know what did it for me Tycho from penny arcade has been playing the beta pretty hardcore and he's been releasing a series of his perceptions on it and if, uh, about two weeks ago he made a comment um about how much more involved the storytelling is uh in this mmo versus everything else but he said i can tell you so much more about my sith uh i think it was the He's playing whatever the DPS version of the Sith is. Um, he's like, but I can tell you that he will not attack women. He will not attack children. He has morals. He has codes. He has ethics. And while the rest of the world may perceive him as evil, he actually, there's so much more to the character and the thought process just by the decisions that I'm making. And the decisions are hard. I really have to consider what it is that I'm doing with my character every time I make a choice because it's not just I'm going to go murder and burn things down. I'm doing things for a specific purpose to a specific end and it has to fit my character. And that is what sold me on that in general is just because that so much thought process from somebody who has played probably, you know, more games than we have at this point um, is sitting there saying that he's sitting down and having to make tough choices for his evil character, you know, quote unquote evil character and having that much of a divine impact on the gameplay. Yeah, that was actually Gabe, not Tycho. And was it Gabe? Sorry. Yeah, it was. And and yeah, I remember reading all of that as well too, which really made me appreciate it that much more because I religiously watch <laughs> Penny Arcade TV, <laughs> and you kind of get to know the guys as well as much as you see on the screen, of course. And he doesn't strike me as someone who would take that much time really to to flesh out his characters. So for him to say he has really spoke mm -hmm. volumes to me. Um, the last thing that I actually want to cover on this, and to me, was the freaking coolest as well, is when they started talking about the companions. Okay, <laughs> because that is by far the coolest that I've seen. Oh my god, it takes everything that we loved about companions in Mass Effect and Dragon Age and says, you ain't seen jack shit yet. You want to know how much fun you're going to have with companions? Dude, you can get divorced. Okay, <laughs> it was awesome. Vince, what did you think of this? 
It, it's it, <laughs> I can't wait to make a smuggler character who's just going to I'm going to make him like a, a, a person on an episode of Cops. Just I'm going to try and make him the biggest human train wreck possible. I want, you know, the, the Republic. I want the Jedi's to come to, you know, my my speeder up on its blocks on the on the on the port and have, for a domestic abuse <laughs> call, because I, I want to see just how messed up, you know, they they I can make a relationship and just see how many options are in this game, because like I said, yeah, you could do your typical, you know, flowery romance, but you can also have the train wrecks and the first ever online game featuring divorce as well as marriage. I yes. can't wait to see that. Well, <laughs> what I love is he's talking about the actions that you take now with your companions will have an impact in six years. Now that's assuming the game will be around that long. I honestly, at this point have no reason to believe it won't be. So six years from now, the companion that you cheated on that left you and that you can't use anymore that you can't use it now when you need it in a quest six years later kind of thing. My God, that shows a foresight like that. It blows my mind, seriously. And when you're looking at what they're saying, how there's going to be quests associated with your companions, your companions are going to gain freaking XP. There's going to be role-playing that you can do. There's going to be all kinds of stuff with your companions, not just romance stuff. So really, the amount of attachment that you have with these characters, think about how much you get to care for. I mean... I liked Tally. I really cared for Tally. And that was just a single player RPG that I played for a little while. Imagine having that same companion that with any luck, they're going to continue to develop on them over time as well with patches so that they change a little over time as well. They haven't said that, but I would assume that that's probably on the radar. And then your characters that you care about that have become strong friends or a relationship or whatever. I mean, Think about it again, playing the same game. If you had been playing WoW since the beginning like we had, and you had one or two companions that you'd had since the beginning, that you'd brought with you in raids, that you'd relied on over time, and things like that, how much of an impact would it have if something happened in the story that you lost them or whatever? I think it'd be huge. Okay. You guys got nothing? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got nothing else <laughs> to add to that, man. I mean... Okay, well, I, I, that's about all we're going to cover on that. Basically, uh, in all honesty, again, it's it's a 30-minute video. Oh, definitely worth watching. It's kind of jitterly playing in the uh, the chat room right now, but it's a terrible stream. Um, but worth watching, and, and just basically what it did is it, again... I knew I was buying the game, but it's just making me itch now. Seriously. It's like I... <laughs> if... I, I thought for the longest time that it would be Guild Wars 2 that would be the game that for me personally would be the one that would take me away from WoW. I'd even said that on the podcast way back when. And it will be one that definitely I'm going to be hugely involved in. But the more I'm reading about this, this is going to be the game that basically takes me a while away from WoW permanently. Just when I think I can't possibly want this game anymore, they come out with something new. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're going to take an ever so short break and we're going to come back with some fantastic back to the future news reviews talking about foaming about because we loved it.
And we're back with For the Lore, and now we're going to touch on a game that the last part just came out not that long ago. And that was episode 5, and it was out of time. Of course, I'm talking about Back to the Future, which was released in episodes. The first one coming out in... Joe, help me out. When did the first one come out? Was that December of last year? I think it was. It was last year. Yeah. Like, and end of last year. It's been coming out periodically. And both Joe and I have finished it. We played all five episodes. I'm going to let Joe talk about it. He's going to take point here. And uh, and we'll talk about each episode separately and, and basically give our opinions of it. Because just with no spoiler here, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. There's some things, of course, that I didn't like. But that's because it was a Telltale game. And those things are indicative of a Telltale game. But story-wise, dude, Man, did I ever love this. Okay, first thing I'm going to start with is by saying it is a telltale game, which means it's more about exploring the world a la Monkey Island and less of an actual game like platforming. So keep that in mind as we're talking about it. If anything else, all five episodes combined felt like watching a fourth movie with being able to click on stuff in between. So we're going to start by talking about episode one, It's About Time. Uh, the game starts out in October 26th of 1985. Marty and Doc perform their first temporal displacement experiment, as seen through the JVC camcorder, of course. Um, time machine vanishes and never comes back. Uh, Doc checks his notes, see what could have gone wrong. Marty figures that something's off. Doc realizes that something's gone horribly wrong. A storm kicks up at the Twin Pines Mall. The sign begins to fade out of existence, turning into the Lone Pine Mall. And Doc himself fades out of existence. Then the game starts with Marty waking up. It had been a dream. It's Wednesday, May 14th of 1986. Marty is starting to cope with life without Doc. It's been about six months at this point. Doc's laboratory is up for an estate sale and is soon to be owned by the bank. Uh, and is just as Marty has lost all hope going through the whole despair of woe is me, my you know mentor, friend, you know, Doc is gone, the DeLorean appears. Uh, empty. And what happens is empty, completely oh, empty. Einstein. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> no, sorry. Well, was Einstein in the um, car at that point? No, he wasn't, was he? I, no, he wasn't. It yeah. was completely empty. No, no. Oh, no. In, in, oh, the, no. Game, in the game, he was, it was empty at this point. Yeah. Uh, so what happens is, is now Marty has to figure out what happened to Doc. Where is he and what happened? So Marty winds up getting into the DeLorean and heading off to 1931 to go rescue Carl Sagan, <laughs> otherwise known as Stop <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it was a fantastic opening really for the game and it really set it up so well because the I mean again I adored the movies growing up I really even the bad ones I still love them and you're sitting down to play play the game and I have my headphones on and even just those first little notes <laughs> yeah, that they play yeah. at the beginning I'm gonna cue it right here Um, those little notes, it's like the memory just flushes right in. It's like, oh my God, I'm there. I'm there. And then the voice acting is spot on perfect for everyone. And I, and I say that for the entire game, the voice acting mm -hmm. is amazing for every single person in the game. That's saying a ton right there. And, um, and to keep that and to put that in perspective, it is not 
are the original Marty McFly. Oh, no. It is not Michael J. Fox. Nope. It is a Michael J. Fox, essentially sound alike, who does a fantastic job. Now, Ginny is saying she didn't like Biff's voice acting. And you know what I'm going to tell you? I actually did because watch the movies again. And I'm not implying that you don't know them better than I do. Not at all. But I'm just saying watch the movies again and you'll see Biff's voice acting in the movie. He's an idiot. And that's how it comes across. And that's exactly how it comes across in the game as well. Now, maybe it's a personal opinion, but I, again, I loved the voice acting. And then in terms of the story, again, talking about the, um, the fact that it is a telltale game and you are really just clicking buttons. You're moving a little bit. There's no fast action. There's no, you can't fail this game, okay? <laughs> Eventually, you will figure it out. And if you can't, guess what? There's hints. Um, so you're. it's an interactive movie, essentially, is what it is. Yeah. And I was all right with that simply because it was so awesome and because... This was better than Back to the Future 2 and 3, okay? It, it wasn't as good as Back to the Future 1, but it was better than those two movies. And so this, the, the, the first episode set it up perfectly for that. You got the intrigue, you got the that same kind of stuff that you saw in the first Back to, well, actually all of the Back to the Futures with, you know, the time stream screwed up. You got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And they, the writing was bang on for all of that. It felt like you were in one of the movies. Well, I think it also helped that Christopher Lloyd, uh, oh, if I geez. was reading it correct. What, sorry? I said, I was just, uh, I was just saying, geez, like it, having Lloyd in there just cemented the deal. But not just in it. Uh, my understanding is he actually had some input on some of the scripting as well. So, like, he would see something that it didn't really fit the character and he'd be like, fix it. Or this isn't what would happen. So, I mean, to have that sort of Christopher Lloyd genius in there as well in the mix, just it made this the perfect, perfect starting episode. And like you said, it's an interactive movie um, done completely well. I'm OK with being along for the ride on this. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to go through and play all the episodes again just because it's that good. I'm willing to devote that much time to it. Well, I actually played through again. I just had my knee surgery not that long ago. So I played through episodes two, three, four and five in the span of a couple of days. It was actually three days there. So that's why I really it. It didn't bore me at any point. At no point did I think, oh, God, I'm getting tired of playing Back to the Future. Christ, give me something else. Never. In fact, when it finished, it was like, dude, I could play another one now. If there was an episode six, I'm there. Seriously. So going back to episode one, though, again, I, I loved being tossed back to 30, 1931. And you're playing with... Um, young Doc Brown as well as old Doc Brown. And when we'd first heard about that, I was a little hesitant because I'm thinking, okay, are they really going to be able to pull it off? Are they going to be able to, um, to, to pull off a young Doc Brown that is not just interesting, but someone that you, you feel like questing with and doing stuff with and caring about. And I don't know about you, but dude, oh, I, yeah loved him from the get-go and by the fifth episode we're buddies like i i miss i'm gonna miss <laughs> young doc brown now and that's the thing like it, they like they make the compare the character compelling they make the compare the character 
something you want to be around. It's not like an annoying attache. It's, you know, it is young Doc Brown. It is the epitome of Doc Brown innocence. And that's what's really cool about it. I don't know. Like, it just the entirety of that character was just awesome to begin with. And Carl Sagan, dude. <laughs> Carl Sagan. All of those little oh, things God. that they put in, yes. which we've seen in all the Back to the Futures, which is, again, what I mean, how it feels like it was penned by the same writers of those because it just was, it fit those little it had quirks. That yeah, and so when you when you find out that, you know, Carl Sagan <laughs> burned the speakeasies, and I'm like, oh, come on. That is awesome. <laughs> that is freaking awesome. Because, <laughs> again, I could just picture it. <laughs> You know, it's like I burn the speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the speakeasy. I was honest. <laughs> oh, okay. <God. laughs> All right. So you want to jump to episode two? Yeah. Let's let's go to episode two. <laughs> episode two. And I'm, you're gonna you're gonna put breaks in. Uh so Are we? Them. What breaks? I don't know. I'm asking you. No. Go. Okay, good. Episode two, Get Tannen. Marty is back in 1931 and is charged with keeping an eye on Doc Brown's younger version and his proverbial date with science destiny. Uh, Marty in 1980s Doc must prevent gang boss Kid Tannen from wreaking havoc on Marty's family and erasing his girlfriend from the future. After Marty breaks Doc out of jail, I'm sorry, Carl Sagan out of jail, and they escape Kid Tannen, Marty starts to disappear. We find out that his grandfather, Arthur McFly, was gunned down, and we see Marty's father disappear from a photo Marty happens to have. Good nod to the original movie, by the yep, way. Yep. They decide to take the DeLorean back to 4 p.m. that same day, and what follows is an action-adventure comedy to save Marty's grandfather and ensure that his father and subsequently him are born and then returned back to 1986. Okay, see, this is this is what I'm thinking, and, and this is part of what I loved about this, because when you're looking, it, it, it is still a game. So when they're developing the game, they have to have, you know, how are we going to build the suspense throughout all of these episodes to the point where it really feels like there's this in, insane climax coming kind of thing. So there has to be that feeling of that stressful feeling of what is going on pretty early on. And how do you do that in a Back to the Future game? You insert the possibility of so many freaking time streams that it drives you <laughs> berserk trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now? Like, geez, we got to hide behind this tree so that this other version of me from the future doesn't see this version of me that's, that's scoping out the other version of me. And that's what we got here. And I loved, this is something actually that was in episode one that carried over into episode two and of course carries on from then on too. You interact a lot with Arthur McFly in this one too, which I liked. I liked I liked how they made him because he's very much, excuse me, he's very much that dork from, no offense Vince, from the movies as well. And, <laughs> and so he's not that, you know, crazy guy that, punched Biff. He's still not sure of himself. He's still, you know, doesn't really stand up for himself. And I like that, um, or sorry, that's uh, Arthur, not George, sorry. But it's the same kind of character. It's That's down the line. That's what they've all been like. And so I really liked that character in the game as well. That being said, I think episode two was probably my least favorite of the five. Now, that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. Least favorite does not mean it was bad. It's just I think that it was actually the one that I didn't like the most. I will definitely agree with that. I think that it was, um, compared to the other ones, probably the weakest of them, but at the same point necessary for the whole transition for the rest of the yeah. story. Yeah. 
And that's literally what it is. And it was the um, groundwork, not just for that, but it was a groundwork for all of the, the characters. Yes, they were introduced in the first one, um, though they were still thinly veiled. I mean, you really didn't get the scope of, of Edna in the first one. I mean, the yes. second one, you kind of really started to see more. She really started to shine later on. But in the first one, you really got that, that idea of who she was before things changed because of all the, the jumps through the different time streams. But you got to see the type of person that she was. And then I, I still did enjoy all of the speakeasy stuff and the Trixie's Trotter stuff. The, the winsome wench of Winnipeg. I love that. And, yes. and so there's all of that that came later. But you do meet Trixie in episode two. And she's a fantastic character, too. She's fun. And, I, and it sets up Officer Parker and, and everything else like that. So there's a ton of setup in episode two that is required and not just for plot development but also for the characters honestly episode two that's the way i view it i love it i really really do love it but it is pure setup and that's what it is for me and but there's then really it, not much else that i can it leads can to, to that awesome is but, what it does but it does it leads to probably what is my favorite yes, it is. Yeah. episode of the entire set episode three citizen brown after flying back from 1931, Marty McFly crashes into a billboard depicting an alternate doc who is in charge of Hill Valley now. Interesting. After being helped out of the car by an alternate version of Jennifer Parker, the DeLorean falls out of the billboard, damaging it. Um, also, the punk rock version of Jennifer, Jennifer Parker. Wish I could have seen that in movie. Anyway. <laughs> Freaking awesome. <laughs> using, <laughs> using one of the hover wheels and his Mr. Fusion battery, which is 12 volts, by the way. Yeah. Marty makes his way over the wall into Hill Valley and what looks like a police state. Marty meets the alternate version of his parents, his mother who is taken back to drinking. If you remember, that's a nod to the second movie. Yep. Um, and his father works as a security monitor for Hill Valley. Uh, he also finds that Biff has been completely hypnotized to be a model citizen in order to get uh, and uh, basically he's not Biff anymore. He's pseudo Biff. Um, and he wants to try to get a face to face meeting with Citizen Brown. And by in order to do Marty. So, by he, I mean Marty. And uh, in order to do that, you kind of have to break a whole ton of laws. So Marty goes around and starts breaking a whole bunch of laws. Um, the entire the entire episode is Marty finding out how far the current Doc Brown has fallen away from what he knows of the timeline in what the quote unquote real Doc Brown is. And that is probably the most intriguing thing about me is sort of this this dystopic future, this well, dystopic 1985 uh, that has been come into place by minor little things that have happened in the past. And it was just an absolute glorious story to, to be a part of and watch and participate in. You really got to see, like you were saying, that what happened in episode two really had a huge impact in episode three. When you see that billboard at the very start and it says Citizen Brown. And I can't remember what the slogan is. I've got the screenshots. I'm going to have to put them up. Um, but 
when you go in and you see that it's a police state, it's not Doc Brown, he's not a doctor, he's a judge, and he rules over Hill Valley like a police state. You find out later, of course, that it's not really him that's ruling over, it is Edna. And it's because Edna and him, when they were getting together at the end of episode two, instead of going to the movies to go see Frankenstein, which was a pivotal moment in young Doc Brown, young, you know, Emmett Brown's um, development, it changed the way he thought about a lot of different things. Well, he doesn't get to see it. And they go see another movie. And Edna, being the very, very strong personality that she is, starts to take over Doc Brown. And he doesn't become Doc Brown because of it. He becomes this Citizen Brown. And seeing that city, that, that uh, Hill Valley, so completely different yes. than anything yes. we've known. Not just the city, but the people. That was the kicker. I mean, when you're seeing Biff completely hypnotized, when you're seeing Jennifer, who is rebelling against everything, yep. and those quests where you have to impress her and, and play freaking guitar against the snot-nosed kid there. <laughs> the snot out of the nose was a little much, okay? <laughs> where she says, says too, the ukulele isn't cutting it anymore. Uh, that's not true. Ukulele is rule. <laughs> and, <laughs> but she's helping him out as well to break some laws. Um, I loved when he's getting dressed up and she, she gives the line of your little short for a stormtrooper. That was a nice little nod there as well. Um, but all of these things that he's doing so that he can finally get to see go before Citizen Brown and talk to him. And when you go into that room, his Citizen Brown's office, and it's got that massive freaking clock because he's behind the clock, which is so iconic <laughs> again in the movies. Yes. He's behind that bell. It's not a bell, but the clock tower thing. And, um, and so, yeah, when you're seeing that, it's like, oh my freaking Lord. It's the presence, the art direction in those scenes, that office alone was insane between that the pictures on the side the monitors with everybody the shadow play with doc as he's facing mm -hmm. away from him and then around oh dude it was freaking awesome the entire direction of this episode everything about it was just absolutely phenomenal it was fantastic i i mean it just everything you discover every little thing that's just off from you know the original world that you know, the 1985 that you know, and and all the little subtle nods to the movie throughout this episode. And there was a lot of them. Um, and just the whole Back to the Future mythos, it was completely awesome. And yeah. that really, really makes me happy. And like Ginny's saying too, which is obviously everybody noticed as well too, the mm -hmm. flux capacitor symbol. When he finally sees how that is similar to the symbol that he has for the utopia, quote-unquote, that he's created. And it's actually the flux capacitor. Like, they tied in so many... Sorry, I got some wine in my mouth, so I'm trying to talk while I'm drinking. I'm, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> but there was so many things that, again, having known everything that happened in the movies, which, though it's not necessary it really does help if you've seen several times the the second and especially even the third when they make when marty makes reference often to um to uh, it's clara isn't it i think it's clara the, 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 I think it's Clara. Yeah. yeah, it's Clara, who Doc actually does marry. And uh, and that 
that's the woman that he's supposed to be with. That's the wonderful woman that really lifts him to a whole other plane of it being this fantastic man and it's not supposed to be Edna that he's with and I just again all of these little moments here and there just made for an absolutely incredible incredible episode and still filled with tons of tension when you see just how far Edna has gone to the point of kidnapping him to brainwash Citizen Brown as well. Like, really, it's a messed up state that they got going on there. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. Like, it's just I'm trying to think of how to describe it. And like, if I had to sum it up, I if you had if you were to only play um, one episode, I would definitely say this one. Like you should play them all, but I mean, if you only had time to sit down and play one of them, this one gives you probably the biggest well, story. I think you I need think the setup. I think you you have to have the setup. You have to have do, the Edna setup and and everything else. But it is by but it far could stand. I think it could stand on its own. That's why I, I mean. don't know about that. That's I don't know about that. But I think that it is definitely the the strongest for sure. So you want to move on to the fourth one. Because the yes, thing, too, is that even though it is the strongest, what it wound up doing is that if you're looking at a graph and you're seeing it, you know, progressively getting higher and things like that as the excitement is ramping up at, at episode three, it's not that it went down after that. It, it basically remained the same level kind of thing. It just episode three lifted it up from a story that it's like, wow, this is kind of fun to oh, my freaking God. And then it maintained that the rest of the way. I would agree. Now let's go on to episode four. <laughs> episode four, Double Visions. Marty wakes up in the Citizen Plus facility waiting to be brainwashed. With a little help from his father, Marty is able to break free from his cell, gather his belongings. Uh, he rescues Jennifer and then goes to rescue Citizen Brown himself. After confronting Edna Sticklin, Marty and Doc find their way back to 1931 where they must fix whatever went wrong in the past to keep the timeline straight. Marty and Doc have a little bit of a fight uh, over the events of the future, and Marty not only has to ruin Doc's love life, but also reignite his love of science. In the end, we find out that it might all be for naught. Um, it's just kind of cool to see how you go back. Um, I'm sorry, Jenny. I may have messed that up. <laughs> Somebody's going to be a stickler in the audience here. Yeah, she is. She's going to be a. Actually, it was funny. It's like I noticed that in the in the notes as well, but I didn't correct it. I figured we'd talk about it when you were talking yeah, about fine. it, anyways. But yes, it is Jennifer that does help get him out. But it's his father that also helps through the the um, the intercoms and whatnot. Not that okay, that was well, anyway. that important to the story, Jenny. You didn't have to interrupt us. Anyway. But no, I mean, it's it's just it's kind of a cool little concept to see the the inner workings of it. <laughs> but not only that, but just to get to the point where you see the fight between Doc and Marty, I thought was probably the coolest point in the entire episode. Just the little argument that they had between them. Um, again, it's one of those where. The, the story progression from that point on, because of how absolutely interesting the character of Citizen Brown is, um, I mean, he was interesting in episode three as um, as a faceless character. I, not faceless. You see him on the billboard, but it, it, as a, a, a someone that you need to talk to. But you haven't come 
to know yet. You haven't actually had the chance to talk to him. It's all hearsay and, and things like that. And yet he's still so unbelievably interesting. And then what happens is that when you do finally get to see him, it's even better. When he is analyzing Marty, when they're talking and things like that, to try to figure out what kind of illness he may have and things like that, it's it's just a fantastic character development. He keeps getting more interesting. So then when at the end of episode three, where you are getting the impression where in he's come to his senses, he's figured out what's going on, he's going to be on your side. Oh, my God, he's gotten taken by Edna. What's going to happen now? And you're thinking, OK, well. You're going to rescue him, and it's going to be Doc Brown, quote-unquote. But it's not. There's still yep. part of Citizen Brown in there. Enough and, and that there's... That resentment. There's resentment, but there's also self-preservation. Because he knows that if the timelines are changed, he's not going to remain anymore. He is himself will no longer exist. The other Doc Brown will be the one that exists. And so he's got that little bit of self-preservation. He does also have those those glimmer moments of affection still for Edna, which, again, they would have had over the years that they were married. And especially because he's seeing her as her younger self, which is the woman that he fell in love with before she went batshit crazy. So he's seeing those moments with her and he's remembering how he felt about her. It's very multi-layered. The character is has got so much going on for him and by far is the the most interesting of all the characters simply because he goes through so much in this story. You pretty much summed up everything yeah. about this episode that I could really do, so you, you bastard. Um, but no, I mean, it really is. And it's sort of that, that the Doc fighting with his own inner workings that really sell the episode as a really fantastic one. Um, I don't know. I, I got just, nothing I else. Really... That's it's it's in all honesty, everything that was in it was cool. Um, th- okay, let me rephrase. There were moments that I wasn't as crazy about, simply because there was a lot of the quote unquote telltale gaming moments where you had to do specific little things to get the characters to do little things and whatnot. Um, so there was a lot of those little things that I wasn't as crazy about. But that's same more as the gameplay. Then. Exactly. Same as episode yeah. five. We got a lot more of that in there as well. So there were little things that I just I wasn't as crazy about because of that. But in terms of the story in it, again, did not diminish in any way, shape or form as strong as episode three. And you are really clipping towards the end. And now you're especially especially because of everything they did with uh, Doc Brown, you really really now want to know what's going to happen because again it's affecting so many time streams absolutely which leads us into episode five out of time marty wakes up the next morning after all the events of episode four when he receives a call from emmett about bringing his static accumulator to the exposition the science exposition of which uh got to try to make sure that young doc goes through and you know becomes it's a big you know, development scientist. thing that it's kind of like yeah, Frankenstein. It's a huge, it's a huge yep. step in Emmett's development, leading him to become the man that he becomes when he invents the DeLorean. Well, the exactly. DeLorean time machine. Well, it appears that Emmett winds up getting kidnapped when Marty arrives at the expo. He's almost 
crushed by Citizen Brown uh, when he shows up. So basically, Marty gets to the expo, expo can't find uh, young Emmett, and almost gets run the fuck over by Citizen <laughs> Brown. Because that's always awesome. a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it also appears that Doc has realized that science was the source of all problems for Hill Valley. Not just some, all problems for Hill Valley. And that's why he's kind of doing what he's doing right now. Uh, Marty has to outmaneuver Edna Strickland and Citizen Brown to find young Emmett, get him uh, to present at the uh, the exposition, and save the timeline as it's supposed to be. Uh, this episode is so full of amazing story uh, that it's really hard to to kind of gloss over. Um, it's just everything about this episode is it, it is the climax. It is the culmination of everything that they've been building up to over the series of every episode beforehand. And this is what ties it all together. It also has probably one of the coolest endings uh, that I've seen in a while and also a very interesting ending. Um, do you want to talk about that first before we well, go to the ending? Well, let's or? actually talk a little bit more about other th- yeah. stuff first. Um, it's important to note that in episode four as well, there was a jump back in time again to another reality because what had happened was that Edna had gotten a hold of the DeLorean at one point and had gone back in time. Okay, so she went back to the like 19. 19- 1890, I think, or 1891 or 1890, 1889. 1800s, yeah. Yeah, late 1800s. Back to when, you know, uh, when they had gone back in, in, that was the second movie, right? No, that was the third movie? The third, third movie, movie was, was the one, yeah, when they went back in time, yeah. So back to that time period. So Edna had gone back there. And so at one point, Doc Brown and um, and and uh, and Marty see Hill Valley disappear. And Hill Valley becomes a, <laughs> one, a city, a town of one. And they actually go and find Edna Strickland, who is going by Mary Pickford at that point. And that's when you first get introduced also to the character that's voiced by Michael J. Fox, and that is Marty's great-grandfather, and which is awesome. He's the one that saves them from getting <laughs> shot from her, too. Way to go, freaking yep. Michael J. Fox. Um, but you really get this amazing little story arc there where... Um, uh, Edna has really lost it and she's blocked out a ton of things that's that that has happened to her because of that and you relive it for her through little again telltale quests um, and when she finally loses it as well again you're chasing ha- after her at one point and you're going back again to the 1800s to stop her from burning down the the, the bar that uh, Kid Tannen was building so that Hill Valley can exist because the, she burned it down and it basically burned down the entire town so that's a huge part right there as well and which then leads us again to what's going on in episode five because you've got all of these tie-ins from all of the different timelines and all of these these things going on and everything that they did in um episode five that lead up to um young doc brown 
doing his presentation and whatnot and, and setting up Edna so that she is uh, recording herself. You record her saying that she was a speakeasy arsonist and all of these little things. And then dealing <laughs> dealing with Citizen Brown when he's in the, 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 the Marine outfit. <laughs> yeah. That was so freaking cool. <laughs> but there's all these moments throughout that really level up that 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 really progress the story again so well to the point where you're not just dealing with this story now now you're you're helping doc brown young doc brown and his father find a common ground and care for each other and understand each other and listen to each other like again multi-layered at this point it was it was fantastic and that's what it was. It was the, the thing about this entire game is there are so many little things about it, right? There are so many little moments, so many uh, little pokes and in, in, in layer upon layer upon layer of just the things that you could do and that interacted with each other and that had that cause and effect of, well, you know, affecting the timeline. Um, and just so many things you had to do in order to ma- maintain and preserve uh, time as we know it, that it just it it made it feel like it was truly an extension of the movies and not just a standalone game and that was kind of the other cool thing about it how it tied into all these concepts and everything else from all the other movies that have come before it and that in and of itself makes these games fantastic especially the fifth one where everything comes to a head and that's and that's really what it was it was everything coming to this the sort of natural point. It was and, it was nice too because, like you're saying, so many of the the points tie into the movies as well. Um, we actually watched the three of them not that long ago with my youngest because he he hadn't seen them all yet, and so we'd made a, a, literally a weekend of them, and in the span of one weekend, watched them all. And so that's why when I'm watching this, and at one point when he meets um, uh, Seamus, who is his great grandfather, and he tells. Citizen Brown. No, at that point, it's Doc Brown. He says, yeah, I think he's the one that peed on me once. And it's like, that's right from the movie. That's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. So there's all of these moments that tie directly into the movies that that if they had not been there, the game still would have been absolutely fantastic. But because they were there and it makes it better, it not just does it make it better, but it does literally make it feel like the fourth in the series. If they were to make another one now, they would, to me, they would almost have to pick up up from this game, not from the movies because it's so integral to the IP. Now, in my opinion, that's saying a lot. Which also brings us to the ending of episode five, because the ending of episode five is probably one of the greatest endings uh, you could possibly have. So after going through all the events of the game and getting everything straight (laughs) and and doing what they can, Doc and and Marty are getting ready to go back into the... uh, you know the the Doc's lab and as yeah, but hold around, on. But, but before before you say that, that is the best part right there. To me, that was the best part was when they are talking to the parents and they're saying like, "God, I hope that everything's all right here." Yep. And they're they find <laughs> out that the par- yeah the parents are all right. Okay, that's all right. And then you find out that you see Edna. But she's not batshit crazy. She's walking the dogs, and it's like okay. And then you find out that she's dating kid tannin because they'd met in prison it was like okay that's kind of awesome but then i loved how marty is saying like what else are we gonna what else is gonna be a problem here and doc is saying just back away slowly into the lab and hope for the best 
And then cue the lightning effect of a DeLorean coming back from its destination. Uh, a DeLorean pulls up, and it's the normal DeLorean, uh, pulls in, and an older Marty gets out, a Marty from the future. And voiced by Michael J. Says, Fox. Voiced by Michael J. Fox, and Doc, you gotta help me. Shortly after that, as both of them are hanging slack-jawed, uh, another DeLorean, this time a blue DeLorean, shows up. And another Marty gets out. And he says, you got to help me. He's the fake Marty. I'm the real Marty. My timeline has to be preserved. And if that wasn't enough, a third Marty shows up. And he's all angry and angry. very bully-like with yeah. spikes. And he's like, you know what? You two have fucked up my timeline. <laughs> you gotta, you're going to fix this shit. You're both getting a race. And then... The coolest thing I think ever is when Marty sits there and says, you know, which one's the real one? And Doc just looks at him and says, isn't that obvious? And just pats him on the shoulder with a knowing smile. And then they go and they get into their DeLorean and fly off while the three remain arguing in the driveway. Yep. It was very cool. It was it was it was it, it was. It, it was what I expected from and ending to a Back to the Future because you can't leave well enough alone. It's all well and good to show that Edna is actually with Kid Danon now. Yeah, all right, but that's nothing compared to the insanity of having multiple Martys. But not just that, but that's the first time, and you can see it from the look on their faces too, where you have the same person meeting themselves in that a specific timeline which they were saying should result in catastrophic kind of world imploding universe imploding on itself and all that and it's like no 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 and then another one shows up and then another one shows up and that's when it's it's kind of really opening up the doors now where the next season, which is quite obviously going to be coming, because if you followed the credits through to the very end, it said to be continued. Yes. Um, the next one is going to be they're going to really be able to do a lot more now because of that, wherein you can play with the timelines a lot more with who's going to see who and things like that. And I can't wait. I honestly cannot friggin wait for the app for the next installation of this game. I think it's going to be ridiculously fun. I think it's going to be. Just a ton of like just great continuation for the story, and I just can't wait to get my hands on it because you know what's coming. Yeah, the only the only concern that I have is whether or not they're going to go too overboard. Um, let's be honest, three Martys coming to talk to him was some might think that was overboard. I I had no problem with it. I laughed. Um, but I think that the potential is there that if they go too overboard, it'll just be too much. Essentially, they'll jump the shark. Like, the thing that was fantastic about this entire game was that at no point did they jump the shark. Even though there was so many things going on. Even though at one point there were two DeLoreans. They made it work. They made the one disappear. They worked with all the characters within the confines of those specific storylines and things like that. They didn't jump the shark. Even with Citizen Brown, even with, you know, Crazy Edna, it still, it was still worked. still within the realm yeah, of possibilities. Exactly. I think that if they go a little too ballistic with what they could potentially do, I think that we could wind up with an episode that's just, again, jumping the shark. Well, even if it jumps the shark, I'll play it. Because yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> But I don't I, I don't think it's going to jump the shark. I think we'll be OK. It's all about the writing. If they can bring it in the right writing. the writing. And if, in fact, um, Christopher Lloyd was involved with the first one and he's the one that reined them in when things did not feel right. 
we would need someone who can do the same thing for the next one. That said, I am very curious whether or not they are, or if that was just a little play at the end, just to have us, you know, hoping that something will come out. But I'd be very curious to know what they'd be working on. Okay, so from one awesome game to another awesome game that's going to be coming out, we have Bastion, which is a game that, Joe, you actually got to talk to the um, the devs at PAX East, it was, right? That is correct. At PAX East, uh, one of the coolest things that I did was got to spend time with all the indie developers. I'm sure the AAA titles are nice, but there's something really awesome to be said about you know, having the indie developers who pour their passion into the game. Well, Bastion is a creation of such passions. Uh, what Bastion is, is it's an action-adventure RPG, sort of like an isometric Zelda, um, where produced by Supergiant Games. Um, players, basically the main character is named simply the kid. Players who take control of him uh, take on a journey uh, as they wake up finding the world crumbling around them. Uh, your task is to create safe haven named the Bastion. After an event known only as the Calamity, um, your job is to find bits and pieces and survivors and bring them back to the central point and try to start to rebuild the world. Uh, every, every time a player learns a new attack, every time you complete a certain task, every time you uncover a certain ability, the narrator will actually react to you in this game, which I thought was very cool because it's a very unique way of delivering the story of the game. There's no scrolling text. There's no blocks of text. Um, it's basically the narrator will tell you what you're doing, what's going on, and give you the, the, the story of what happened as you're playing it. Um, the narrator also comments on things happening around the character, including like if you mess up, he'll get on your case and make jokes about it as well. Um, you solve puzzles, you have ex expansive combat with rolling maneuvers, dodges, all sorts of other stuff. And it's just an absolutely fun time. Um, as you progress through levels, the world actually kind of forms up around you. Um, and it's a highly stylized cell shaded action adventure game that's absolutely phenomenal. It is probably one of the better games I've gotten to play this year, and it will be released on Xbox Live. Uh, it's probably going to be about 10 bucks, and it's going to be released on July 20th. Um, so if you have a chance to pick it up, I highly suggest it. It's just a damn good game. Yeah, um, when I was watching that uh, video interview that Vince. I put in the show notes here. Yeah, hi, <laughs> I'm still here. Hey, thanks for having me. Now... <laughs> I, I was completely sold on the game from the art style to the music to the combat, just everything I absolutely love about this game to the point where I came home today and I had a little bit of time uh, before the show started. So I was like, oh, cool. Let me download Bastion so that I can play it after the show. And then was so disappointed when I realized today's only the 19th. <laughs> but at least at least I know what I'm going to be doing after our comics podcast tomorrow. I'll be doing it all day. Oh. Well, on top of that, you guys will make sure, want to make sure that you're joining us next week for the live broadcast as well, because we're actually going to have the creative director for Bastion, who's going to come on and who's going to uh, tell us about the process and everything. So that's going to be an awesome interview as well. He's also an awesome person. I've met him and shook hands with him as well. Um, that's the other cool thing that's really awesome about this game is that they have such a small development team that a lot of people wore multiple hats. And one of the people I got to speak with was Logan Cunningham. He's actually the voice actor um, that does the narrator, but he's also one of the game designers. So it was kind of one of those things we were talking with him and he thought it was, he was like, we asked him, so how did you get the gig as the, uh, 
the voice actor. And he's like, well, actually, I'm kind of the one of the game developers. I, I do coding and stuff and scripting. And it just kind of happened where we needed a voice actor. And I talked into a mic and we realized that I could do it. So, yeah. And I thought that was kind of nifty to see how diverse all the roles are. Just like when we were talking with Max Schaefer, uh, small team, many hats. And it's just such an awesome concept. And to see a game literally as polished as it was, even at PAX East, that's phenomenal to me because it's just a rip and roaring good time. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to playing it as well. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'll obviously be playing it as well. So that's going to wrap up the episode for today. It is a very full episode. We had tons of games that we planned on talking about, but only so much time. So we're going to cover more of the, the ones that we had planned next week. We also had the fantastic interview with Max Schaefer from Ernie Games. You will, if you miss it, you're going to want to make sure to download the podcast on Friday when it comes out because it's definitely worth listening to. Everybody's excited for this game, obviously. It's not just us. So... As always, if you want to check out the show notes, you can go to ForTheLore.com. You can find us at Twitter as well, at ForTheLore. You can email any questions that you have or comments or submissions to ForTheLore at gmail.com. And you can find us on G Plus as well. I put all of that on our profiles on the site, so just check out our profiles and you can find each one of us. With that, I will wrap it up and we'll talk to you guys next week. It was good today. I didn't beg for an advanced copy. <laughs> Don't go on their show. They always ask for free stuff. <laughs> and nobody wanted to say anything, so no call-ins. You guys had your chance. See, I even asked in the chat room, anyone have anything they want to contribute? And all we got was Yoda. yelling Yoda. And I'm not putting her <laughs> in the I call just exactly for that. I exactly specified what they wanted to contribute to, though. <laughs> I kind of did. So... You had your chances, folks. Hoogs, you could have come on, but no. Okay, so we have a couple of minutes. If anybody would like to chime in and give their two cents worth, which I'm, I'm kind of guessing somebody probably does, I can bring I think there's on. one person that does. Yeah, it's, it's a distinct possibility. So let me know in the chat right now. You got a couple of seconds, and then I get shrugs. See this? See? See? No reason to. Fine, fine, fine. You're the one that wanted to be on. I give you an opportunity, and you don't want to be on. Yeah, but you can come on and put your own spin on, but... <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. Moving on. I'm going to just cut this out. <laughs> Edit this all out. Nobody will ever know what happened. Huh. Well, that Ooh. wasn't a long show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear you complaining about editing this. <laughs> I never complain about editing. I think that the wine was mixing in with the meds that I'm taking for the painkillers and stuff, and it was inflaming. My tongue was swollen up. I was having a hard time talking, seriously. <laughs> it wasn't just that I had wine in my mouth. It was, I know, it was, my tongue was swollen up. Perhaps the wife was right. I shouldn't drink when I'm on all, all these meds. I didn't choke on it. That's what she said. Oh. <laughs> you know what? You want it to be on? We were going to let you be on and talk about it, and you punked out. I'm very disappointed. So there, whatever, whatever. So does that mean that Vince isn't going to be doing comic cast with you on that? Uh, on that day that as week? well, I'm going to be looking for a uh, somebody else for that as well. Hi. Okay. Hi. I like <laughs> comics. <laughs> I can be your friend too. I, I like. I like comics. I like comics. I like comics. I like comics. I like, I like talking about comics too.
<laughs> I've even been on the comic book so once before. I didn't burn anything down, but I swore in the first three seconds. <laughs> Clean podcast. First two minutes, Joe starts dropping f bombs. Let's dig out the bicycle horn. Well, in, in his defense, we were talking about Grant Morrison. I like pancakes. I like pancakes. Ooh. See how much freaking work you're making us do? Oh, mister, I got to have a vacation. You better not tune in live like you did last time you were on vacation. <laughs> no, I, I will legitimately be in Orlando. 